calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Bookburners, Season 5, Episode 3. One. Sal Brooks shouldered through the Vatican's echoes, chasing Grace. On Sal's first day here years ago, fresh from America and new to the world of magic, she'd followed her guide through these gilded, sculpted, painted halls, lush with centuries of gathered and, let's be honest, looted wealth, and felt alone. Occasionally, through roped-off galleries or across landscaped courtyards, she'd glimpsed other humans. Nuns and priests mingled with the mobs of camera-bearing, bright-plumed wanderers from distant lands, all ignorant. She'd barely known about magic for a week back then. But in a way, that felt almost teenaged now. She'd felt herself in possession of deep mysteries when, in fact, she'd barely dipped her toes into the ocean of the secret world. The Vatican's palaces had not changed since then. They stood through time. There had been Borgias here, and Medicis, and Raphael. Hell, probably all the Ninja Turtles at one point or another. Maybe buildings sometimes got lost in their memories, like people did, and let different times flow together. Maybe if she turned her head fast enough, she could see her younger self wandering in an unfamiliar hall, or side by side with Perry and her parents in a world not yet changed, or marching off with Liam and Grace and Menchu on some mission. The past was all still here, and it was all too much especially with her girlfriend mad at her. Especially since she understood why. Wait, she called, and though Grace didn't, she also didn't speed up too fast for Sal to follow. Sal caught her beside an archaic torso of Apollo. I'm sorry. She'd never been good at saying those words to other partners, and it scared her how easily they came with Grace. 
Yes, she'd had a lot of practice, but that wasn't the only difference. Looking into Grace's eyes, she didn't need to be right about anything. And that scared Sal even more than the giant wrecker back in Alexandria. The wrecker was too big for her to hold in her mind at once. This. She couldn't hold anything in her mind but this. It's your choice. It is my choice, Grace said. I've lived with my curse for 90 years. For too much of that time, I thought of myself as a victim or a weapon or a resource in the team's service. I am done with that. I took responsibility for myself in Alexandria, and I'm not stopping now. I am my own woman, and I will use my time the way I want. You're right. Whatever Grace expected Sal to say, she hadn't expected that. She shook her head and started walking, following the throng of delegates proceeding toward the summit. Grace seemed to have expected Sal to fight her. She stammered, unsteady, without that countervailing pressure. Asante's cure might not even work. That's true. Grace glared at Sal out of the corner of her eye. And anyway, I have a few months left on my candle. If the wreckers are as bad as they look, the world will be lucky to last eight weeks. I've been talking to the other delegates. Even Wong? She knew it was a dirty question to ask, but she asked it anyway. Grace shoved her hands down in the pockets of her long jacket. Wong Jingguo can die in a fire. Her boss tried to use you to blackmail me into working for their bureau. Sansoni's called everyone she can to help with the wreckers, and of course, we need Wong, but I don't have to feel good about her being here. Fair. Grace said nothing for a moment. The hall near the summit chamber was full of delegates and attaches. There's not much time left, Sal. I want to be worth something to you. You are. Sal took Grace's arms and ignored for the moment that they were stopping traffic. The dignitaries could deal. This is your choice. But I'm afraid you think it's your curse we need, your power. I just want us to be together. Now and when we get through this. Do you really think we'll get through this? She thought of Perry, sick, and of the way Alexandria looked as the wrecker peeled it apart. As far as I'm concerned, nothing since we first met in New York has been likely, especially not the good parts. So, why not hope? I do. Grace's eyes were level, her voice blunt. But we have to be here for each other all the way, through death and out the other side. I'll give you all the hope I can. And for that, I need my curse. Inside, Sansoni struck the gavel. There should have been time for paragraphs and speeches, tears, a kiss. There would be later, Sal told herself, though she wasn't sure how much later she or the world would have. But she took Grace's hand, met her eyes, and said, And I need you. The kiss came then, unexpected. Grace's movement so swift she was back in her place before Sal could blink. She felt it still on her lips. How much of her remaining time had Grace burned in that second? An hour? A day? But Grace was grinning fiercely and held Sal's hand with a strength that denied all doubt. Let's go. And together... 
they walked into the Sistine Chapel. Sansoni had set up a projector screen in front of Michelangelo's The Last Judgment fresco, which Sal thought was a bit redundant since she was mostly using it to show pictures of the world ending. To be fair, Michelangelo's paintings were probably less tactically relevant than images of wreckers towering beside Tokyo, Sao Paulo, D.C., Alexandria. Sal had taken that photo herself. And somewhere in the middle of the ocean, though with magic, you never could quite tell. She knew she was scared because she was making jokes to hide it. We have 39 confirmed reports so far, Sansoni said, flipping from slide to slide. We only have clear, ground-level pictures of wreckers near major population centers, but satellites are tracking others. They don't seem concerned with any standard military objectives, not with infrastructure or casualties or even positional advantage. They arrive, proceed to their targets, and drill. She scanned the room, and Sal scanned it with her, reviewing various factions, military and intelligence and clerical, before settling on the Chinese Arcane Security Bureau. Wang Qianguo sat there, grim, arms crossed, a storm cloud in a simple brown uniform. Beside her boss, a round-faced and stern older man wearing enough brass to sink a battleship. The Arcane Security Bureau has already tested the limits of a strategy of conventional engagement. Mr. Hu, perhaps you could share the details of that encounter? Mr. Hu stood. His eyes were level and his gaze bright. And if he hadn't basically tried to kidnap Sal to ensure Grace's good behavior back in Tibet, Sal thought she would have liked the guy. He spoke crisp English. One entity established itself in western Gansu province, far enough removed from any major cities that we felt a test case could be made. No nuclear weapons were deployed, so that option remains open, pending the results of this conclave. The 29th Tank Battalion engaged the wrecker without any discernible impact. Surface-to-surface missiles turned into birds on approach. Several other options of a classified nature were tested, and while they slowed the entity somewhat, it resumed operation shortly. Infantry assault proceeded into the affected territory, delaying the entity, but other hostiles emerged to disrupt our infantry advance. Casualties were extreme. Two magically enabled squads were able to withdraw, but we are uncertain whether their survival was the result of superior strategy or a fluke. Absent other information, we assume the latter. Sansoni nodded gravely. Thank you, Mr. Hu. She clicked the slides off, and aides rolled up the screen behind her to reveal the apocalypse again. I expect others have attempted their own delaying actions. If anyone has found a critical weakness, now's the time to speak up. No one had. Sansoni's lips thinned. There will be a military breakout session next to discuss what's been tried and what, if anything, has worked. If all we can accomplish here is to delay the end of the world, let's delay as much as possible. Tavani Shaw will direct that effort. Shaw rose and stood at attention. Shaw has the longest tenure on record as an operator on the Society's direct intervention team and an equally distinguished record as its commander. If there's a solution involving the use of force, she'll help us find it. But any approach, magical or military, requires that we understand what these things are, what they want, and what we can do to stop them. 
To that end, let me introduce our resident expert. Our former archivist needs no introduction to most of you, but for the unfamiliar, you'll find Dr. Asante's CV on pages 15 through 26 in your packet. She's had direct contact with the wreckers. Asante swept to the front of the room, trailed by a wake of skirts. Even the bandages and splints on her broken hands seemed like regalia. She stood before the assembly, bedecked in her shawl, her hair piled high on her upright head. For once, not standing before a society assembly as an accused woman in the docket. But as the expert, she had always been. If only they'd listened to her sooner, Sal thought. To be fair, even if the society had listened, they'd probably have ended up here anyway. But a girl could dream. In Alexandria, Asante said, I confronted an angelic entity named Hannah, the same individual who caused the chaos in London a year ago. Hannah claimed to be responsible for maintaining the world. In London, she said she was abandoning that duty. Now, rather than allowing the world to rust away in some angelic attic, she has sent the wreckers to take it apart. Think of them as a cosmic recycling crew. The wreckers are not targeting human populations or human infrastructure. They are boring through layers of reality to the machinery that makes the world work. And when they get there, they'll unmake us. The hush before had been respectful. Now it was absolute. Until Wang Jianghuo stood up. We have to stop them. Her voice rang against the walls. Or else, what is all this good for? One corner of Asante's mouth quirked up, not Sal thought because she disagreed or thought Wang was funny, but because she recognized that anger, that ferocity. She knew how it felt from the inside. Exactly. I'm aware of one technique that can delay them. A ritual de maîtresse left me. Allow me to demonstrate. No one spoke. Wang didn't either, but she remained standing until Mr. Hu whispered something sharp to her in Chinese. She lowered herself to her chair, but didn't stop glaring at Asante. Asante nodded to two staffers who wheeled the table to the front of the room. A book lay on the tabletop, surrounded by a warding circle and flanked by candles. Asante lit the candles in the inner circle, then donned a glove of silver chain and opened the book. Shadow rolled out from the pages. People around the room gasped, and Wang was half out of her seat before Mr. Hu caught her arm. The shadow sparked against the edges of the warding circle and bent back, roiling, furious, but contained. This is a simple warding spell, Asante said. It won't last long against the book, which is why it's a good thing we have this second technique. She lit the outer ring of candles, spoke a long, drawn-out word, and made a shallow cut on her forearm. The shadow that billowed from the open book gathered weight, deepened, and surged against the ward. The candle flames dimmed and flickered, but still burned. A drop of blood welled on Asante's skin, fell, and struck the diagram she'd drawn. There was something like the opposite of an explosion. When it cleared, the candles were out, the book lay open in the center of the ward, and everything looked normal. Of the shadow, there was no sign. There we are, Asante sounded pleased with herself. This ritual drains magic away, revealing the original structure of the world. 
Since the wreckers are attempting to reach the center of our reality, reinforcing that reality should delay them. It will give us time. The ritual can operate over considerable distances and requires no prior magical experience. I'll teach the relevant personnel this afternoon. Wang was whispering angrily with Mr. Hu in Chinese. Asante turned to them, raised an eyebrow. Mr. Hu stood once more, calm, composed. He straightened his tie. This is an excellent tool, Dr. Asante, but as you have pointed out, it will hardly win us the war. My operational lead would like to know if you have any ideas that will stop these wreckers, rather than delay them. Asante frowned. Not yet, but every magical scholar we could summon is down in the archives right now, working. That's where I'm going as soon as I'm done up here. Her gaze swept the chapel's roof. For a moment, she was face to face with God. Do not lose hope. We have work to do in the coming weeks, holding off the wreckers, keeping people safe, preventing our governments from ending the world faster in their panic. We will find something. Just give us time. She yielded the floor to the grave silence of consideration. Sansoni stepped forward. If there are any further questions for Dr. Asante, Wong half raised her hand, but Mr. Hu glared at her. She stopped, military rigid. Okay, breakout sessions start at the top of the hour. We'll make this work. She struck the gavel, and around the room, delegates stretched and aides buzzed to work. Wong stood, turned, and marched silently out into the hall. Sal turned to Grace, but Grace was already gone. Grace found Wong standing alone in the Hall of Faces. Roman funeral relief stared out from their mountings, worn old men and severe women of the Republic. Those smooth stone eyes had watched nations fall and empires rise to fall again. If they were lucky, they might just watch the whole world end. Wong tensed when she heard Grace's footsteps and looked over, her expression blank and barren. Grace did not like Wang Tianquo. She was ruthless, she was fierce, and she fought to save places and people she understood from places and people she did not. She had tried so many times in so many different ways to force Grace to join her or to surrender what Grace knew of the old Chinese bureau from before 49, its tools scattered by purges and revolution. Wang had fired into a market square full of magical beings, not understanding that they'd gathered in celebration rather than to invade. She had hurt Arturo and Sal. Grace could not forgive her. But here they were at the end of the world, and there was something familiar about the anger she'd heard in the other woman's voice, about the ferocity with which she'd demanded answers from Asante and her scorn when Asante had no answers to give. How many did you lose? Grace asked. Too many. Wong turned away. She stared into the eyes of some senator who stared back across 2,000 years. And for nothing. I'm sorry. We could have known. We could have been ready. No one was. But we could have been. She clenched her fist in her opposite hand behind her back. If we had known... We would have prepared. 
There would have been rules and research and time. There might have been a chance. Do you really think that if I went with you back in Shanghai, it would have helped? I'm not Asante. I can move fast and hit hard, and I read a lot of books, but not the kind that help with this. At most, I could have pointed you toward where the old bureau stashes used to be. But you've had decades to track those down, and you're no fool. The old bureau couldn't even cure me. They just shoved me in a box with all the rest of the junk they didn't understand. Do you think they'd have known how to fix this? Maybe. You always thought there would be time, Grace said. And now there's not. I get it. I spent decades thinking like that. Everyone dies sooner or later. It's not all that bad once you get used to the idea. We're just good at ignoring it. Once you accept the end, just start asking what you can do with the time you have. What hope is there? Asante offers a delaying tactic at best. A trick that gives us more time to suffer and tremble as the world burns down. She'll find something. Defending her friends felt easy and comfortable, but it wasn't why Grace had come. Long Jung Kuo can die in a fire, she told Sal. But she was dying in a fire now. They all were. And Grace had more experience with that than most. I know you're angry with me, but we have to pull together. We're on the same side now. I'd like to put the past behind us so we can stand together and save some lives. I joined the Bureau because I wanted to protect people, Wang said. From foreign powers, from ghosts and devils and chaos. And now, in spite of all my work, of everything I've done or tried to do, I'm powerless. I might as well be one of these. She waved dismissively at the beehive-haired woman on the bas-relief in front of her. Not even an observer. Just uncomprehending stone. Stark watching witless while the world grinds itself to powder. She knew how that felt. I want to be worth something to you. In Alexandria, she'd given so much. Years of her life burned away to break the lotus of time and save Sal. It worked. She'd won. And then the wreckers showed up, tall as mountains and eminently unpunchable. Here she was, curse and powers and all, practically worthless. You're not. You're here. We all have a place in this. Like Asante said, we can make it if we work together. She believed that because she had to, because the alternative gaped beneath her feet. Demons cackled down there in the pit of her heart. Never strong enough, never fast enough. And no choice but to fight on anyway because she was here and Sal was here and she'd be damned if she gave her up. Maybe if Grace could make Wong believe her, she could believe herself. I'll learn Asante's trick, Wong said, because it will help my team. But you don't fool me. You talk about cooperation, but each time we reached for you, you pulled away. Maybe we could have stopped this together. Maybe. But we'll never know now. And it's much too late for the ones we've lost. She turned without another word and left Grace in the empty hall with the faces of the dead.
You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. 
shopify.com slash realm. Two. The archives were broken and bloodstained and alive. Scholars and hedge witches maneuvered past the splintered shelves, arguing over codices and scrolls, comparing notes in six languages, gesturing violently to reinforce their points. A hedgehog-looking individual brought a cup of tea to Professor Izquierdo, glasses low on his nose, bent over a book so big it strained the folding table on which it rested. Santi paced the domain she'd ruled for a decade and more, and tried to maintain equanimity. She resolved an argument between an eyeless witch and a doctor of theology over the translation of a particular term in Akkadian, pointed a Byzantine scholar with some rudimentary knowledge of Kipchak toward an old Khwarazmian scroll Dr. Wu had been struggling to translate. The vault with the truly dangerous books, the texts now crackling with magic, was closed and wheel-locked and utterly ignored. There was more than enough knowledge to go around without trifling in the affairs of demons. She reached into the pocket of her dress and felt the seed there, in the pouch she'd sewn it into. It did not hum, it did not pulse, but it felt warm and right to her touch, even through so many layers of fabric. She circled back to where she'd left Francis, poring over scans of a Dead Sea Scroll no one had known about until Yusuf brought it with him from Alexandria. Any more luck on the point of origin question? Frances adjusted her glasses with a tentacle. Some, I think there's a conceptual block, among other things. We've been talking about the angels making Earth like we'd talk about an engine, machinery and maintenance and things like that. Of course, no one 4,000 years ago had ever seen an engine, let alone an open source software project. But I keep finding references to the garden within and the garden without and an awful lot of agricultural imagery. Professor Izquierdo found a Sumerian reference in one of the Counter Gilgamesh tablets. The garden is the seed, and like the seed, it remains within. I've been comparing with the Enochian translations, and it all appears to check out. You raise a good point about technical vocabulary, but even there, the echoes make you wonder whether the domains are all that separate after all, branches and roots and the like. Perhaps everything we've done with computers in the last 80 years has been some sort of unconscious echo of steps taken far back in deep time. We're close, I think. Francis blinked at her. You're enjoying this, aren't you? It's two o'clock in the morning and the world's falling apart and you just spent all afternoon teaching a room full of military guns how to do magic. They weren't nearly so bad at it as I expected. And to add to that, Francis said, what you had to go through to get here from Alexandria, if I were you, I'd be a wreck. But I know what you look like when you're trying not to smile. Asante glanced around, and when she was certain no one was watching, she let her grin show. I know I should be scared and brutal and grim, but look at all these people down here working. The world's best minds in magic, from the market and the bazaar and every university department we can reach, all sharing resources and wisdom. There must be an answer here, and if there is, we'll find it. It's just a shame we couldn't have done this before. Everyone should have listened to me years ago. Across the room, the hedgehog squeaked in surprise and waved Professor Izquierdo over to check his work. He nodded and called for Asante. I don't know, Francis said as Asante turned to leave. I think for everything to change, 
everything had to change. Sal sat by Perry's bedside while he slept. Demons had wrecked the whole rest of the society's quarters beneath the Vatican, rent the walls and their frescoes with great sweeps of razor-sharp claws, decapitated statues, and, oh, yes, elsewhere the whole world was ending. But the infirmary remained as off-white boring as ever. Someone had brought a television into the waiting room since Sal's last visit, for reasons she could not quite fathom. Well, no, that was wrong. She could fathom the reasons, but they were dumb, especially here, where staff understood the news better than any anchor. Yes, there was a skyscraper-tall union worker made of hard light melting the Washington Monument and marching on the White House. The world was ending. What else did you expect? She wished it did not feel so familiar to watch her brother in this bed. There were differences, thank God. Could you still do that? Thank God, when the world was ending and there was still no sign of the big G-man. Unless you counted a sort of dickish overworked project manager. She'd have to ask Father Menchu. She wondered if he would have an answer. When they first came to Rome, Perry had been comatose with a demon curled inside his head his eyes unmoving in his sleep, his breath so slow that sometimes Sal thought he was dead already. Now he was just dreaming, sick but alive. This wasn't worse. She told herself it wasn't worse. But back then, he'd been less a patient than a fairy tale prince enchanted asleep. Now he was just sick, flushed and shivering. She'd added all the blankets she could scavenge from other rooms and her coat. A bead of sweat slid down his forehead. He rolled onto his side, grinding the sweat into the pillow and curled into a ball. Sick, only with lights swirling beneath his skin. One hand lay sprawled outside the covers. She set her fingers against his palm. Sal, his voice creaked and his eyes batted open, big and innocent and blue. The innocents always fooled Mom when they were kids, but Sal believed it now. Hey, Perry, we have to stop seeing each other like this. But she couldn't make it through the joke without her voice wavering. How do you feel? His eyes stayed wide, his focus settled on something behind her that was not there when she turned to look. There's no other way. Excuse me? Uh, sorry. He looked peevish, confused. I'm in so many places at once right now. That's okay, she said. I think I understand. Maybe that's... No, I'm being stupid. I'm sorry. She made herself stop rather than babbling that apology out further. Of course she couldn't understand. He was the one lying there, his soul breaking apart. The bonds that linked him to the angel she'd known as Aaron, straining as magic flooded back into the dying world. He was a light bulb hooked to a high-voltage line. But it wasn't his job to make her feel better about making a mistake. Did you have a good trip from London? He frowned. We need all the magic we can get. We're trying. I went down to the archives earlier. It's wild to see. Asante has the whole team, all these people who've never talked to each other, working together. Even the military types were learning how to do her disenchantment trick earlier. 
They took to it like naturals, even Wong. It's everything you would have wanted. His expression went blank for a second, and he shook his head, then smiled. There were tears in his eyes. I love you. I love you, too. She could say the words, at least. Her body still obeyed her that much. He sank back to the pillow, and she leaned forward, drawn by his fall. She kissed him before he slept, and he hummed and shifted under his blankets like a kid, satisfied. Grace found her crying in the waiting room. I brought tea. Sal couldn't look up. There was snot all over her face. Her cheeks ached, and so did the muscles around her eyes where she'd screwed them shut tight. She reached blindly for a tissue without finding anything, but Grace understood and passed her one. She blew her nose loudly, wiped her eyes on her sleeve. When she looked up, Grace was sidelit by the television's catastrophes and blurred with tears. She looked down again, the light hurt her eyes. We don't have much time left, none of us. So why, why does it hurt like this? But she couldn't say it. Grace's fingers found Sal's arm. She set the paper cup of tea in Sal's empty hand and curled her grip around it and held it there between them. He's your brother. Of course it hurts. It's not just him. It's everything and him. If not for Perry, I could just bluff through, you know? Act as if nothing's changed and this is a job like any other, the way Liam's doing. We've been in bad spots before, so why not think we'll get out of this one, too? The tea was dark, smoky, and the right amount of bitter. Grace was wearing eyeshadow and dark lipstick, and she'd done her nails. You look good. She blushed, and the cell felt warm a bit south of her chest, which at least was something not altogether awful. We might not have much time left, so... Why not spend it looking good? Sal laughed wetly at that and sniffed. She gestured at the mess of her face and shrugged. You're beautiful. Grace kissed her on the cheek and drew back and checked like a girl to see if the receptionist was watching. Nope. Someone was getting eaten on television instead. Sal put her hand where Grace's lips had touched and remembered her burst of speed this morning. Are you afraid that people will see us kissing in the Vatican? Maybe. A bit. I'm an old-fashioned kind of girl. The time to worry about what people think of us passed somewhere around when the president got sucked through a hole in space. Which president? The American one? Happened just now. Sal nodded toward the television and took a sip of tea. Huh. Well, we can worry about that later. If there is a later... There will be, Grace said, and she wasn't being brave. Suddenly, the world was very cold and tight and real. Sal's eyes locked on Grace. Sometimes, Sal had dreams in which she came to herself in the middle of committing some monstrosity, betraying a lover or a friend, killing someone she merely disliked, and had to deal with the consequences, running, hiding, facing justice. Days might pass in those dreams before she caught some slip in the world and realized she had no idea how she'd come to be in Tokyo in the first place, or that the person she thought she'd slept with had blonde hair rather than brown. 
And then came the joy of unraveling, of waking in her bed to find the world whole. Asante found something. Asante, Grace said, found something. By dawn, everyone knew. Arturo Mantu felt the difference as he passed through the halls that had been his home for so many years toward the Sistine Chapel. Delegates whispered excitedly in corners and clustered near scholars, trying to squeeze the good word from Asante's team before the official announcement. Was there some new theory of magic, some weapon that could stand against the so far impregnable wreckers? Some entity to entreat on behalf of the human race, or if the human race didn't rate consideration, then on behalf of the countless other beings that shared the planet? And though Manchu himself, and no doubt countless others of faith who had much less familiarity with the nature of the present catastrophe, had been trying that particular avenue without success thus far. He had spent the night in prayer with Monsignor Anjuli, summoned from his country parish for the emergency. There had been too many words the old friends might say to one another after the disaster in Ireland, after Manchu voted against Anjuli's cardinalship to save Asante's life. So they'd said little. Manchu asked after Anjuli's family and his parish, and Anjuli asked about Manchu's team, and then, though Manchu was not sure where his own faith stood at the moment, they knelt and prayed together. Until there was a knock on the door, and he opened it to find Liam, eyes wide, eagerness, a rare expression on a face Manchu had not realized until that moment had grown so used to fixed determination. The chapel's air felt tense as if the clouds billowing in frescoes overhead might break into thunder. The room had seen so many choices. And there, alone beneath the last judgment, stood Hilary Sansoni. He joined her there in the silence as the others filtered in. Sansoni was dressed in black, her hands in the pockets of her suit, and she was looking up at the angels being cast out of heaven on the wall. Father? she said without turning to face him. He did not correct her. Has she told you? Not yet, he admitted. Uh, Santi has her reasons. There are enough rumors already. Did you sleep? She laughed dryly. Her shoulders were back and down, her head high. There were two ways to end up with perfect posture, men she reflected. Either you carefully stretched and disciplined yourself to stand straight, or you placed the heaviest weight in the world on your shoulders and learned how to stand by refusing to be crushed. Her face was deeply lined. He wondered where she saw herself in that great end-of-the-world fresco. I spent four hours on the phone convincing the American Joint Chiefs not to nuke the wreckers after the D.C. fiasco. There's satellite evidence the Russians already tried it. It didn't work for the Russians, but the U.S. military always has considered failure an other people problem. You can't keep this up forever. I have, she said. There in the fresco center sat Christ in judgment. I've had to make so many phone calls to so many heads of state, persuading them to stand down every time this or that nation loses a town. A few hundred people, a battleship. The world's been ending slowly for a very long time. It's never been safe, and it will never be safe again. I trust the Santi, he said, and as she raised her eyebrow, he realized that he actually did. He believed the archivist. 
Or at least he believed his friend. If she has an answer, it will work. I learned about magic when I was 15, Arturo. I lost family. I lost people I don't even remember now. There are pictures left. That's all. I wanted to make sure that never happened again. You've done the best you could. More than anyone could expect. I know. Her mouth had a cruel slant. You mistake me for someone who indulges in self-pity. I joined the society back then, though it had no place for me. I saw how poorly it was run, this fraying thread the whole world dangles from. Mistrust of experts, secrecy and spite. No accountability, no professionalism. A bureaucratic mess crouched atop a nuclear arsenal of magic knowledge. And even then it was obvious we were losing the fight. Magic was coming back. The tide was rising. So I had my goal. To gain as much power as I could. Because someday the end would come and we would gather here. And on that day we would need leaders strong enough to save us. Any idiot could see the car was about to crash, and I knew I could save more people if I was in the driver's seat. But now the secrets are out in the open. Magic spreading throughout the world. There is a brick on the gas pedal, and there are too many hands on the steering wheel. He let her finish, shake her head, fall silent. He turned back to face the gathering crowd. I think it's time. I've kept so many secrets. I can only imagine how many you know. And secrets are the friends of the powerful. The church has been a good caretaker, but the church isn't blameless, and its hands are not clean. I say, let's teach the world and set it free. I'm not talking about knowledge, Arturo. I'm talking about power. Magic isn't poetry or the morning news. It's a bullet. It's a bomb. If by some miracle Asante gets us through all this, do you really think our species can survive in a world where everyone on the planet carries a nuclear warhead in their heart? He heard the suspicion in her voice, the fear, the anger, and he understood her in that moment. The logic felt so simple, so small, when you drew it out like that. We don't have a choice, he said. We'll get better, or we'll die. As to which course we'll take, that's where faith comes in. She shook her head and lifted the gavel. You have more faith than I do, father. He retreated to his seat near Sal and Liam and Grace and wished that were true. The gavel came down, the room settled, still excited, still electric. Liam shifted to make room on the bench. What did she have to say? She's worried. He shrugged. So, she's breathing. But before Manchu could answer, Asante stepped forward. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>